You're watching Global Trade This Week with Pete Mento and Doug Draper. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Global Trade This Week. I am Pete Mento, and with me, as he is nearly every week, is my good friend Doug Draper, who is in, um, should we say beautiful, Doug? Let's say beautiful. Let's Let's give Fresno, let's give Fresno a reason to smile. Beautiful Fresno, California. I am in um, Passable, Passable, Woodbridge, New Jersey at DSV's corporate headquarters. Um, And thank you all for joining us for what I'm sure is going to be an action-packed edition of Global Trade This Week, brought to you by our good friends at Cap Logistics. Doug, Mm -hmm. how how you doing, buddy? I'm good. We were talking uh, travel earlier and uh, rolled in last night. Um, an airline not to be mentioned, but we were talking about the delays. I, I've never, ever flown to Fresno without being delayed. And it's my own fault because I take the last flight out of Denver so I can spend the weekend uh, with family and it's always delayed. So, and then Fresno is supposed to be, a, uh, here's the forecast, 105, 105, 106, 107. So uh, it's kind of wow. still hot out here in the Central Valley of California. Yeah, it's it's been a, a pretty tough summer up here. It's just New England and, and uh, you know, the tri-state area. It's just rained, man. And when it yeah. hasn't rained, it's been hot and miserable. There's no in-between, you know? It's just downpours, like, go build an ark, or it's just been hot and gross. So yeah. can't win, buddy. You just yeah. can't win. Yes. We're not here to talk about the weather there, old old man. We're here to talk about trade, transportation, logistics, and global economics. What yeah. do you got, bud? Yeah, for sure. That's funny you said that because I was like, I think every show we just end up talking like old men on the porch about the weather well, and, and, and something. You know, I, one of my favorite movies is, is uh, Dirty Old Men with um, – Matthau and, and Lemon, and I, it is it is a classic. I can watch that movie once a week and still think it's funny. Yeah, yeah. yeah. What do you got, bud? All right, so this one popped up on my radar the other day. Um, it's talking about spot rates versus contract rates in the ocean freight industry. Yep. And um, Asia to the U.S. lane, spot rates are finally starting to exceed the contract rates uh, for the first time since... I think they said May of 22, so I'm, I'm not 100% sure, so I'm just going to say 2022. Um, and, and the thing there is that's kind of how it's supposed to be, right? Which is another example of things are kind of getting back to normal. So, um, you know, spot and contract, a lot of people listen to this show or in, into the industry, some are not, but contract rate says, hey, steamship line, I guarantee this number of, of, uh, of volume from this lane give me a rate that I can bank on for, for, for a period of time, usually annually. And spot rates are, hey, I don't need it that often and just book it when I need to book it and whatever the rate is, the rate is. So much more volatile. Um, it's almost like a, an arm on your mortgage after five years, right? It just, it is what it is. It goes up and down. And so because of the craziness, the, the spot rates had been below contract rates, which is usually just the opposite. Um, so here's a couple of thoughts on that, Pete, is that, um, I, I would assume a lot of these large players that sign contracts um, intentionally said, I'm going to sign a little bit less of a contract this year because I know the steamship lines need the business and I'm going to keep part of my uh, my reserve over here in the spot market because in the here and the now, 
the spot market was less expensive, right? So hedge their bets, don't put all your eggs in one basket, um, yada, yada, yada. So that could be coming to roost a little bit. Um, and I could see the steamship lines uh, flipping around and saying, hey, there's no more room at the end, so to speak, right? I know uh, that you have other business over here in the spot market rate, and it behooves me to keep it over there, um, which could start to uh, inflate prices in the spot in the, in the, uh, in the uh, spot market. So I don't know if that's a, a big enough concern. It's not like one is dramatically higher than the other one right now, Pete. It's just starting to inch up enough that it was newsworthy. Um, but the unique thing about this one is that for years, get as much as you can for the big importers into contracts. Then you're secured and, and you know what to expect and you can budget appropriately. I know that this year, because of the, uh, you know, the, soft of the mar softness of the market, not everybody did that. So is it going to be problematic? Possibly. Is it going to be to the point financially um, with spot rates going up? you and I are going to see any of the implications? Maybe not. It just depends. But the beauty, and we've talked about this, I shouldn't say beauty, but the, the thing with the, the steamship lines is it's like the cartel. So they could intentionally still have blank sailings and control that. So the spot market continues to increase because more people are in that market now than years past because it was beneficial to the importer for a period of time. So I don't know if this really is going to make that big of a difference, but it was noteworthy enough that I wanted to bring it up in today's uh, conversation. So I don't know if you got any take on that. Oh, here, here's the thing I wanted to ask you. That being said, is it going to impact the air freight market, right? Where people are like, oh, I'm not going to deal with the spot rate market. I can't put any more freight into my contract rates. I'll go ahead and use air freight where I normally wouldn't have, which means there's going to be limited capacity in the air. So that's a little bit of a stretch, but this is your forte, my friend. So tell me what your take is. I believe there's definitely going to be um, some impact to the air freight market in that a lot of unused capacity is going to get gobbled up. So you may see some adjustments there, but air freight's been pretty stable. Um, there could be some some adjustment. I don't think it's going to have any cataclysmic increase, but there could be some some adjustment there. I think yeah. what we're seeing here, Doug, is there were so many companies, so many companies that were successful BCOs going back to these carriers and renegotiating rates. So I think that has had something to do with the stabilization of spot getting closer to rates. So yeah. that's that's had something to do with this. Not all those kooky rates that, and there are still a lot of them, a lot of really out of gauge rates mm -hmm. that are catastrophic, but I think this has had a lot to do with that. The carriers are doing a, um, uh, a commendable job on their part of the blank sailings and the slow steamings and the you know taking capacity out of the marketplace because they have to they've just got to in order to keep prices at a place where they're just not losing their shirt so that's got something to do with it it just wasn't a real peak this year because of all of the all the volume uh, of inventory that's just in the united states and mm -hmm. haven't seen the fire sale everybody was expecting yeah. So that's just, it's just the reality, Doug, you know, they're, they're in a business where they have the ability to constrain capacity as best that they can in order to try to make money on what is actually moving. Mm -hmm. So um, got to give them credit, you know, hate the game. Don't hate the players. Yeah. Yeah. That last sentence you just made, we could insert OPEC and the oil industry and nobody would know the difference between that last statement. So interesting. Glad stuff. you said it. Not me, Doug. <laughs> 
All right, brother, what you got for your first uh, topic? Yeah, mildly controversial topic. The uh, president signed the ability for the USCR and the Department of Commerce to roll out the framework for a piece of legislation and rule changes that are going to allow the United States to constrain investment in Chinese companies that are going to be competing with the United States on semiconductor production, microprocessors, artificial intelligence, quantum computing, advanced computing, and advanced technologies. Saw this one coming. We talked a lot about this in previous uh, editions of this show. And these are all advanced technologies that the United States has for years been leading the world in production and has been competing neck and neck, mind in mind with the Chinese. Mm -hmm. The difference here is that a lot of American companies, a lot of American investors, a lot of American private equity and uh, investment firms have been dumping money into Chinese companies looking to make a quick buck. Not going to be able to do that anymore. So the list of companies that are going to be targeted has been released. The mm -hmm. framework for how we're going to put sanctions on these companies has also been put out. And a comment period has been opened up that will end on September the 28th. This is big, Doug. So this is true financial warfare where a lot of that big money that would go into direct foreign investment is going to come from the United States. The expectation is that Europe is going to follow. We are going to put tremendous pressure on the Europeans, the Canadians, uh, Japanese, other, other Asian like-minded Pacific nations to follow our lead. They likely will. And this is going to take a lot of that funding that they would have found out of the hands of these Chinese companies and force it to be government funded in China. Chinese have the money to fund it from the government, but it's going to take that money away from other enterprises um, mm -hmm. like the military, space exploration, you name it. Now, it doesn't stop India. We'll see which side that they decide to go on. It doesn't stop Russia, which, you know, they're kind of involved in a ground war right now. Uh, this is huge. Now, another thing that they did is they, they put in there, it, we're also opening up the ability to apply this to other other technologies that may arise. So who knows what that could be, you know, beyond artificial intelligence, virtual reality, who knows what, the, what may be. This is a long time coming. We probably should have done this 10 years ago, to be very frank, Doug. But it's also going to likely force any investment that's already underway to be recalled. That's, that's pretty incredible. So this is, um, this is really laying the hammer down between the United States and China. And um, it's probably about time. Yeah. Well, the two things that got my attention on this topic, number one is it's an executive order, right? That's why it kind of came out of the blue. It may, be, may have been percolating, yeah. right? But um, crafted, written, and approved by, uh, by, um, by POTUS, right? So um, that's interesting. I don't know if there's anything to read into that. Um, I'm not putting a tinfoil hat on by any stretch, but um, executive order just, just happened. Right. And the other thing that I wrote it, or uh, read is that um, it's being couched or positioned as national security, not exclusively economic interest. Right. That's correct. And I don't know about, um, you know, my my, uh, my my civics class 
Um, I was throwing paper airplanes and, and jacking around in class in, in middle school, but uh, there has to be some sort of benefit by sticking it under national security versus economic interest to position itself in the future to be able to zig and zag and pivot and, and open it up to other things. To be frank with you, it could just be a blank check, you know, national security. I mean, you could pretty much do anything on, on the benefit of national security. So I'm a little um, not well versed in that, but it caught my attention. There has to be something there, uh, which struck uh, just struck me as interesting. It's easier to enforce, Doug, and it, it allows us to enforce it internationally. So if there are other countries who are engaged in it, it allows the, the, the tentacles of international enforcement, if you will, to be more broadly effective in our ability as a nation to enforce it. That's great news for, for uh, international enforcement. And yes, the president doing this means we don't have to get Congress involved, which is, yeah. means it's going to happen super fast. What I think is interesting You've not heard a peep, a peep from either side of the aisles of Congress about this. It has been, dare I say, universally accepted. And it could have been a, a, a Trumpian edict. It could have been from President Obama, Richard Nixon, um, Truman. It could have been any president that put this out there. I think that where we are right now, from the the from those of us, from those people who actually read about this stuff and understand it. Uh, the general fear of the adoption of this type of technology and the militarization of it has people pretty much on edge. So the idea mm -hmm. that there are Americans who could be funding it and that it could be used for a military end use really does terrify general average Americans. So yeah. Yeah. No, no shock there. Crazy. All right. Well, let's jump into uh, one of the favorite segments of our show, which is halftime. Of course, brought to you by Cap Logistics. Please check them out at caplogistics.com. It can help you move stuff around, uh, for lack of a better term. But um, yeah, Pete, we got a big announcement that I'll take. Uh, but I love the fact that uh, you have some phenomenal takes on uh, on film and theater and television. So I'm going to have you go first. All right. So I, I spend a lot of time stuck in airports. Thanks, Mayor Pete. And, um, you know, the, the latest, my latest um, recommendation is on Netflix. They have, um, they have a show called, I believe it's, um, it's an uncovered, um, I don't remember what it's called, but it's a uh, sports documentary series. And they have one on Johnny Manziel. Johnny football. I am a Texas A&M fan. I am an Aggies fan. Uh, my favorite uncle, my uncle Dwayne, was an A&M man. And not being um, not being given an opportunity to make up my own mind on who I would be a fan of as a young man, I became an A&M fan. I'm happy for it. And Johnny Menzel um, sort of re uh, reinvigorated, if you will, excitement in that fan base. But I didn't really know just the depths of his tomfoolery, of his hijinks, of um, what a knucklehead he was um, when he was playing. And this gets into just what a wacko he was being. And it's a fun watch, Doug. It mm. is a fun watch. Not, not the least of which getting into the way that he was monetizing his popularity and notoriety it gets into how he was circumventing the rules, the depths of the lies he was telling in order to do so, 
the um in the way that much like any meathead college athlete myself included if put in the same position he really took it to the limit and how ill-prepared he was for fame and how much he put his opportunity at jeopardy and then when he did make the nfl just how stupid there's no other word for it doug just how stupidly how 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 inconsiderate he was of that opportunity mm-hmm. and how he just wasted it. Um, and then now as a young man, how he looks back on it all and realizes what a mistake he made and he's just trying to get on with his life. It is a, it is a fabulous hour, mm-hmm. an hour and a half maybe. And it's a fun watch. What percentage of the show was college versus pro? Cause college is probably all fun. You're rooting for him. And then the pro piece would be like, Oh, wow, no, this no. guy really was detrimental in his no, career. No, no, no. No, in college, you're definitely not rooting for him for about half of it. Mm. Um, he, um, I'd say it's about 70% college. Okay. Um, but there's one There's one scene that doesn't ruin anything where they just, they basically, um, the coaches realize that he's not watching film. They gave everyone iPads to watch film of the teams they were playing. And this coach says, hey, hey we're, um, we just went over Johnny's numbers and he's not he's not opening up his iPad to watch opposing team film. You're like, what do you mean? Like at all? He's like, yeah, zero minutes. <laughs> he doesn't he doesn't watch any opposing team film. Like, well, that can't be right. Like the system's off. Nope. Nope. It's not off. He just doesn't watch film. And they do a cut to Johnny's like, yeah, Johnny football didn't watch any film. <laughs> Yeah, like he would just go out and get absolutely horrifically plastered the night before a game. And then the coaches were like, you can't do that, Johnny. And he was like, well, I don't know. We beat Bama and I was hung over as hell that game. So mm. I guess Johnny football can like referring to himself in the third person and all of it. Wow. And he won a Heisman trophy act in that way. And, um, but you know, I'll tell you right now, if I, I was, I was a, a terrible college athlete. But if I had been a great college athlete and people were going to throw that kind of money at me, I would have done the same stuff. I would have been just as stupid, just as dumb. And yeah. they put him in that situation. And Texas A&M, that's another thing. They made a lot of money off of his success. And they, mm-hmm. they let him act that way. Not to, not to besmirch College Station and the beautiful, wonderful organization that is Texas A&M. But man, they... They acted pretty uh, inconsiderately too. Yeah. That's a fun. It's a fun watch, Doug. I definitely recommend it to everybody. Yeah, Giga Maggie's. I, I think. Yeah, I think it would be uh, interesting with the NIL deals now. Maybe he's about ten years. Imagine, away, but at the same time, somebody um, anyway signs him up or whatever, and then he does some crazy stuff, and they'd be like, "I can't align my brand with this guy." So it would be funny off air, Pete, for us to think of all the crazy brands he could have aligned himself with. But um, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. I often joke, Doug, you know, I'm, I'm basically a, a brand. You're basically a brand. You know, the, the companies we work for, they pay us very well to go out and market ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's all we are. We are, we are a name and our reputation and we have to, we have to, we have to represent ourselves and we have to control that. And, um, Usually it takes a few years for young people in this industry to realize that. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, Johnny did not realize that mm-hmm. at a young age. Nice. Uh, so, what, Doug, you've got some breaking news. This, this is, is exciting big, stuff. Yes. 
this is no game. So if you're eating your san- peanut butter and jelly sandwich at your desk and you're just trying to get through this thing because the second half of the day hasn't started yet, put the sandwich down and listen. Pete, you're coming out to visit on the week of July 28th, which is two no, weeks. No, 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 August. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, August 28th. So two weeks from now. And as a lot of our listeners know, we're big fans of uh, South Park and the Casa Bonita updates. So we are going to take the show on the road. We're going to take our talents to Casa Bonita, and we're going to do a live show. Uh, we're still the, the creative team. Uh, is still trying to figure out the topics, the format, the whole nine yards. But we are going remote. We're going to be at Casa Bonita. And uh, we're just going to let it rip and see what happens. So uh, I'm super excited. So here's the deal, Pete. Um, Caspanita didn't return a phone call, and they didn't really reply to my email. So we're going to be doing this from a restaurant next to Caspanita with the Caspanita sign. And if we time it right, we're going to pull over some uh, some employees and see how things are going inside. But that doesn't matter because we're going to be there. It's going to be remote, and you and I are going to be in person. And holy cow, I'm not sure what's going to be expected uh, or or what's going to happen. But the week of August 28th, we'll give you a firm date next week, time, day of the week, and and location. And uh, the fan base is welcome to come out here in Colorado. And we're just going to rip it up and have a good time. August 28th, more information to come, a live shoot from Casa Bonita. Pete, I'm stoked. I'm stoked too. I, I know that there's a very popular um, internet conspiracy theory that you and Keenan are actually the same person. Um, <laughs> but you know, we'll be able to prove once and for all that that's not the case. Yeah, because we'll all be in the same the same general vicinity at once. So I'm excited to finally yeah. put that to rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cool. All right. Well, hey man, I'm gonna jump into my second topic. Um, Hit it. And- the funny thing, Pete, is we talked about this on, and I went back and looked at the show on June 27th, right? So let's just call it two months ago. It was starting to make headlines. It never got any traction, and it's still a little bit under the radar, but I'm talking about the drought down in uh, in Panama and that region of the world that is causing substantial traffic jams, uh, so to speak, outside of the Panama Canal. So the Port Authority down there, they are reducing the number of ships that can make passage through there every single day. And that has uh, created a floating traffic jam. As of yesterday, 154 vessels just treading water outside of the port or, or, or outside of the canal waiting to make passage on average 21 day wait time of just wow. idling out there waiting for their turn. So, um, I looked at that and I'm like, well, what's the deal here, right? So obviously there hasn't been any rain. There's a drought. There's less water there than has been in the last uh, four or five years. But here's the piece I didn't know, Pete. Every time they move through a lock, 50 million gallons of water is used to raise and lower as they go through the elevator process of moving through the canal. And that is lake water. It's not seawater. It is, um, you know, non Salient, if that's the right word, there's no salt in it, right? And mm-hmm. and so um, that's water that comes from the sky, not the ocean. And so they're really concerned about that. So what's happened is that less boats, each boat, uh, each vessel has to have less weight, so the dispersion isn't quite as great when you disperse the water. Um, so that means that vessels are offloading, 
Um, so now you got containers sitting on docks trying to figure out what to do. You have vessels saying, I'm not waiting 21 days. I'm going to go a different route. So there's additional delays there. And the interesting piece on that, Pete, is that, yes, it's fresh water that helps the locks move up and down, but the ocean water does get in there, right? It mixes. Um, and because the water levels are so low, there's so much salt water in that mix now that the desalination plants that serve as the water to that country cannot keep up. So that's also part of the reason why they need to slow it down because there's too much salt in the slurry of non-salt water and salt water that their plants that service water to the country just can't keep up. So it's gonna be interesting. There's a lot of factors in there that have nothing to do with moving cargo through the canal that will have implications of, uh, of, what's, uh, of what's to come. But we talked about this two months ago and if there was 140, 154 vessels outside of LA, oh yeah, there was a couple of years ago that made international news. That same process is happening down there. And when the congestion got bad in LA, people started routing stuff to the East Coast. And the way you get to the East Coast is through the Panama Canal. So that in and of itself is creating problems. So I think that the little uh, issue down there in the Panama Canal is gonna have ripple effects big time. Um, with uh, with cargo, so thank goodness the, the peak season didn't exist this year because it could be catastrophic. I will add another thing to worry about, Doug. So the Panama Canal is um, first of all, it's not it's not what people think. Uh, it, it is very low tech. It's very low tech. When you go through it, you cannot believe how low tech it is. <laughs> it takes a long time. There aren't a lot of ships that go through it uh, at once. It's uh, it's tedious, and you have to have a Panama Canal pilot take you through it. And guess what, Doug? There's not a lot of them. So when you create that that back pressure, you've got to wait now for pilots to take these folks through to clean up that back pressure. So that back pressure is going to take a while to clear because you have to have a qualified, licensed, approved Panama Canal pilot who is a U.S. Coast Guard approved licensed pilot, by the way. I went to school with a bunch of folks from Panama that were sent to Maine Maritime Academy to get their license, and then they go back down there to work. And these people are, you know, they're incredibly specialized. So you've got to wait till one of these folks is done taking someone through and they cycle them back. So mm. guess what? This is going to take a long time to deal with. This is a big problem. And mm -hmm. people are not, they're, they're just, they're not, they're not, they're not screaming from the rooftops like they ought to be. I know there was something, I think in the JOC today or yesterday or whatever, but yeah, I don't know why we're not freaking out. We ought to be. Yeah. Agreed. All right, Pete, bring us home. Topic two for you. Yeah, top, topic two for me is uh, another thing that is, this is just so typical of the USTR. It's just, it's this political process that is absolutely sticking it to importers. And it is, um, doesn't matter what the, the administration is. It doesn't matter who's sitting in office. It is an unfair outcome based on an unfair outcome. When the chapter 301 tariffs started under the Trump presidency, Everybody was angry that was importing products that were hit by it. 
And we were angry because the timelines were a little wonky. And then exclusions came out to 301, which meant that there were certain products where you could get an exclusion and then you might benefit from not having to pay those tariffs. Great. Well, every once in a while, those exclusions run out and then you know, the USTR comes and saves the day and then you, those exclusions continue. Well, they didn't tell us about those exclusions continuing until the very last second, a few days before the exclusions were going to run out. Well, the last times that that happened, we at least heard out of DC that there was going to be something. Right now, those exclusions run out at the end of the month. We're not hearing anything, Doug. Mm-hmm. Nobody is saying anything out of DC. And that has people panicking because if there was going to be something, they would probably tell folks to prepare for some good news or prepare for some bad news. But we're not hearing anything. So people don't know if they should change their, per, their procurement strategies. They don't know if they should look for other, other vendors, if they should just prepare for the additional duties. It is August the 14th. This is just terrible news, man. What do we do? We don't know what to do. And the lack of information is making people assume that these are they're going to be just denied. And our stance right now with China being as negative as it is also makes people believe that they're just not going to include any, any of these exclusions. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to tell people. And I'm constantly being hit up for advice here. And I've told them I'm very hesitant to give you advice one way or the other. These exclusions have been uh, approved over and over again, which leads me to believe that they're going to be approved again. But the lack of information and the lack of guidance from Washington has me nervous. So I don't know what to tell anyone. I'm at the mm-hmm. edge of my seat like everybody else. And we're you know a couple of weeks away from these things going away. So I think it's irresponsible of the people in D.C. to act this way to the import community. And we have a right to be upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can hear it in your voice, my friend. It, it is it is crazy. So some of the things I read is COVID related things, right? That are probably fine to to fall off. Um, hand sanitizer dispensers uh, would be an example of that. But it's almost like, hey, the U.S. government's going to run out of money on Thursday, right? And all this clamor, and it happens so frequently. You know, the it's like, what else is you know what's going on with Jeopardy? Like, it nobody really follows it, right? So I think sometimes people are just, well, in this instance, they don't know, right? Um, the awareness isn't quite there. And the ones that are, that have a vested interest, don't know what to do. Like you said, I'm not going to rehash that. But I think that they'll probably say, all right, all the COVID-related um, restrict, not restrictions, but you know, the exceptions, we'll just let those taper off. But I don't know how. They can, they mean in the U.S. government, can, cannot just continue the extension um, with this happening in 45 days or 40 days or whatever, whatever it is. It's just mind boggling that they would treat importers of products that are very important to us because those exclusions are there for a reason. Right. And nobody knows what to do. So it's disappointing, like you had indicated. I think some of them will will uh, will, will drop off. Um, but my gut feeling is that somebody will write a pen and, you know, days before it'll all be pushed out another 90 days or six months or something of that nature. So it's an interesting topic that if you are an importer and you're in this industry with customs brokerage um, and, and, and whatnot, you need to find it online. You need to read about it and, um, and see what's happening over the next uh, 40 days or so. 
Interesting. You know, the, the last thing I'll say about this, Doug, before we close the show is it's another excellent example with taxation where heaven help you if you owe the government money and there's a deadline. But if the government is somehow involved in taxation and there's a deadline, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it when we get to it. Mm-hmm. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. Yeah. It's, a, it's, a, it's a hypocritical double standard that it needs to be addressed. Yeah. Well, I would have to agree with that. And with that note, we are going to shut this week's uh, episode down. Uh, we can't thank Cap Logistics enough for making this happen. It doesn't matter where we are, Pete. California. Where Where are you again? You're in Jersey? Woodbridge, New Jersey, my friend. <laughs> okay. Jersey, California, uh, New Hampshire, Colorado. It doesn't matter. Cap helps us get this thing done every week. And we love talking to our audience about topics, giving um, you know our perspective. And we really appreciate you listening in every single week. I'm super stoked about seeing you in person, Pete. I haven't, haven't done that, geez, probably since pre-pandemic. That's right. So it, it, it'll be awesome. It's going to be a great show. We'll talk more about it next week with our live uh, broadcast from Casa Bonita. And with that, thank you all for listening this week uh, with another edition of Global Trade This Week. Pete, take care, Thanks. my friend. Thanks, buddy. See you soon.